can go ahead and turn in your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 18. As we are continuing to work our way through this amazing book of the Bible. <clears throat> of course, through, on this journey, I've had many people tell me that it's interesting that so few churches teach this book of the Bible. Um, but it's so important that we study it, isn't it? We need to study every book, all 66 books, and that's why we, we do this. We teach expositionally through the scriptures. And you, uh, for those of you who have been here, um, as we, you know, we're here in the book of Revelation, but going back in time, even a couple of years, I felt like the Lord kind of gave me sort of a path. You know, we just go from book to book, teaching it, just working our way through the Bible, but a couple of years ago, the Lord sort of gave me a plan. We taught through the book of Matthew. Of course, Matthew chapters 24 and 25 are highly prophetic, and they focus on both the second coming of Jesus Christ, the time of the tribulation, and the rapture of the church. Um, then we went into the book of Daniel, and we looked at, at Daniel, which is an incredible book. That The first six or seven chapters are very focused, of course, on Daniel's life. But then that back half of the book is very prophetic, looking at Daniel's prophetic ministry, the way God spoke to Daniel. And of course, Daniel's prophecies uh, feed into heavily the book of Revelation. And then after we completed Daniel, we came into the book of Revelation. And a part of that process for us was, you know, having come out of COVID and all of the madness that we learned from that, just, you know, politically as well as just, you know, seeing how COVID affected the church and all of that. But also, you know, the presidency changed. There was a lot, been a lot of civil unrest in this country, but we've also had sort of a, a global thing happening just, you know, economically, uh, politically and otherwise. And now, of course, what's happening with Israel you know, and, and we don't know if this conflict in Israel means anything other than the normal conflicts that happen as so many of the nations, especially the Middle Eastern and the Islamic nations, hate Israel. But, you know, in my own mind, when I see these conflicts happening, especially on this scale and this magnitude, I can't help but wonder if this is not setting up the scenario for the Antichrist to walk on the scene. So it's just something we have to watch and keep our eyes on. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm not that kind of a, I'm not a prophet in that respect. But I'm just saying it's something we should watch, right? Uh, the Bible tells us all throughout the scriptures, especially the New Testament, that we should be ready. We should be ready for the return of Jesus Christ, for his people, what we refer to as the rapture of the church. There's nothing that needs to happen biblically or on some prophetic timeline before he comes back for his bride. He can do that at any moment. And certainly as we watch all these things, as we watch this sort of this movement toward the times of the Gentiles being fulfilled and sort of the wrapping up of the church age, and we see the unrest in Israel, Israel and Jerusalem, they're a part of God's timepiece. You know, somebody has said, you know, one is the minute hand, one is the hour hand on the prophetic clock. And so, you know, whenever we see something happening in the Middle East, but especially focused on Israel and Jerusalem, we should be looking up for our redemption is drawing nigh. And that is true with every passing day of our lives. Every passing day, our redemption is getting closer. Not our salvation, but our redemption to go meet Jesus, to be with him forever and ever. 
So, you know, don't, don't take the news lightly. Be careful what you watch and listen to. Each news source has its own kind of slant and whatnot. Try to f- make sure you find as good and as pure a news source as you can as you're listening to and watching these issues take place. So as we get into chapter 18 this morning, let's begin by reading it together to ground ourselves and to understand what we're dealing with here this morning as we talk about Babylon. So chapter 18, it'll be up here on the screen. If uh, you'd like to follow along, you can certainly follow along in your Bible. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you. And repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double, uh, mixed for her double. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil, and uh, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, chariots, and bodies and souls of men. And the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, third time, right? For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. 
And every shipmaster and all who travel by ship, sailors and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a, at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is this great city? What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour, fourth time, she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you any more. And no craftsman of any craft shall be found in you any more. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you any more. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you any more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. Lord, please add your reading, your understanding rather, to our reading. Please give us direction. Please help us make sense of this, Lord. As you have poured out all of your judgments at this point, and now you are judging Babylon. Babylon, the religious system, and now Babylon, the economic system. And Lord, as we look at this, this is a very heavy and harsh thing that you have done. But you have done it because once for all, finally, you've been forced, your hand has been forced, as man has refused to turn to you, as man has refused to repent. And so you do these things, God, not because you delight in them, but because it is necessary for justice and holiness and righteousness. So as we look at these things, Lord, please speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. These two chapters are probably some of the hardest um, in the book of Revelation. In fact, one of you mentioned to me after last week's message that this whole section on Babylon is challenging. So let me go back to the slides I shared last week and sort of try to draw some context around what we're dealing with in these two chapters. If you could bring those up, please. So this is the slide that sort of guided us through our whole study. We are at the very end of that red box that says the seven-year tribulation. Uh, The next slide, which I finally found, I know you can't read it. I know it's busy. Some of you may want a copy of this. But this is sort of a a zoom in to what's been happening during the time of the tribulation. If you see that sort of black... uh, house or whatever in the middle, that's the midpoint of the tribulation. On the left is uh, the blue line was when the church was taken out at the beginning of the time of the tribulation. And then those first seven red bars are the seven seals. Uh, The the gray bars are the seven trumpets that happen all uh, 
leading up to the midpoint of the time of the tribulation. And I know, again, I know you can't read all the, the text on there. Um, and then at the midpoint, of course, is the time when the Antichrist has committed the abomination of desolation. He's gone into the temple. He's declared himself to be God, declared that he must be worshipped. And beginning in, in chapter 13, roughly, is the time period where the Antichrist has said no one can buy or sell unless they take his mark on their right hands or in their foreheads during that period of time. And for those who would not, namely the saints of God, who the people who get saved, who come to Christ during this horrendous time in history, they of course cannot buy or sell, meaning they cannot even get food. And of course the, the beast uh, persecutes them through the Antichrist and his false prophet and uh, ends up killing them during that time. And of course we've seen several times throughout our study that the blood of the saints and the martyrs uh, of those people who have lost their lives during the time of the tribulation, God is protecting them. And he's now saying, as we saw as part of our reading today, he's finally bringing judgment on the entire world because of the way they've treated his prophets and his saints, not only during the time of the tribulation specifically, but really in a sense for all time. As, as Christians have been martyred as they've died for their faith in Jesus. So that's what this is sort of attempting to show in a more detailed way. Um, I, I meant to print out some copies and forgot, but I will print out some copies of this so you can see it again. I know it's an eye chart. I can't even read it from here, so don't worry. You're, you're not blind. Your, your eyes aren't going bad. Uh, next slide, please. Uh, so we went over some of this last week. Uh, last week we studied chapter 17, which was focused mostly on Babylon, the religious system. And we went back and looked at the book of Genesis when Nimrod came on the scene after uh, the flood, uh, descendants of Noah and his family. Um, and as Nimrod came on the scene, his mother Semiramis, and we looked at some of that symbology that came out through them. And they really ended up founding what became most of what we know as religions, plural, in the world, not Christianity, <clears throat> but religions, world religions, most of them came from or in some way came out of the religious system that Babylon established all the way back in the book of Genesis, the beginning of, of time. And so today we want to look more on the right-hand side, Babylon the Great. Uh, so uh, the left-hand side, again, was the religious system. That's what we focused on last week. On the right-hand side, uh, we're looking at the worldwide political and commercial system, and that's what's being judged as God was speaking as we read that chapter. Here, the Antichrist, the world's political ruler, is going to be judged. Uh, on Last week, we were talking about an adulterous woman and a mother from the point of view of worship and uh, idolatry worship. Here today, we're talking about this great city. Now, we don't believe that this is going to be literal Babylon that is rebuilt because literal Babylon would be Baghdad. Now, it's possible that that could become the center during the, the time of the tribulation. We don't know. But whatever city becomes sort of the, 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 the city center, the, the center of world governance during the time of the tribulation, that's the city that really takes on the identifying characteristics and qualities of Babylon. And so that's why God is calling it Babylon, 
because it all originated with Babylon all the way back in the book of Genesis. And so uh, he, all of earth's resources will be rallied together under one satanic leadership. So if the, if the Antichrist or if the devil requires that everyone takes his mark and no one can buy or sell, that means basically they control all of the trafficking of the world commerce, all of the shipping systems. Uh, We've talked a lot here about ships, but when you expand that out and you start to think about air cargo and trains and and trucks and all of those things that take stuff from ports and, and get it into the people where they live, it's the whole system. It's the whole economic and distribution system that's affected. God is going to judge everything. Uh, this will be visible from the sea. They will even see. Uh, so this, this city, wherever it is, it's going to be somewhere accessible from the sea. So that's one of the things we'll know during the time of the tribulation. Whatever becomes the city center for world governance will be somewhere accessible from the sea, visible from the sea. God will utterly destroy it by his wrath. Last week, we looked at God using the kings of the earth as his instrument or vehicle of judgment to destroy the religious system. And then the kings, the merchants, the seamen, they will weep. They will mourn the loss of power and wealth. Uh, That's the end of the slides. Thank you. So last week, we talked about the origin coming out of Babylon. And so God is looking at this and we need, by the way, since we are Bible students, since we're believers in Jesus Christ, we need to learn to let this book guide us. So we're looking at something this morning from the vantage point of heaven last week and this week. And God is saying he's looking at Babylon religiously and now economically and politically. And he's saying, I'm judging it because of what it's done to people. Now we know that marketing, right? You see it on every commercial on TV is targeting marketing. If you get a newspaper or a flyer in the mail, what is it targeting? Marketing, some product or service. Now, if you're a business person, you own your own business, that's a valuable thing for you because you got to get your name out there or your product in front of people so you can make a living. But when you start to think about what's a part of all the big cogs and wheels uh, that, that drive our lives, you know, our paycheck, you know, in order to get to your job, you got to have a car. So you got to buy a car to keep that car running. You got to take it somewhere and get it repaired. You got to put tires on your car. Things wear out. You got to have gas. Gas has got to get brought to you. It's got to get brought up out of the ground in the form of oil and refined. And so you can see it just becomes a big system. It's all a big cog. And what God is looking at here from 10,000 feet is he's looking at the system, the economic system that drives the world. And he's looking at the political impact. He's looking at the impact it has on people's lives. He looks at how mankind has just succumbed to this. And this is something that we as believers need to think about because as we get into the study this morning, uh, God's going to mess with us a little bit. Uh, Babylon the Great Has Fallen is the title of the message. However, if I were giving it a subtitle, I would say, are we citizens of Babylon or citizens of heaven? And that's what it's going to come down to for us. So let's just kind of jump into it and start swimming and see where it takes us this morning. In verse 1, 
After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So here's yet another angel coming out of heaven. And as this angel comes from the presence of God, and it says this angel is illuminated with glory, we, we understand, you know, it kind of takes us all the way back to the days when Moses was going up on the mountain, right? And fellowshipping with God as God was giving him the law and he would come down and his face would glow. And he would have to cover his face. Why? Because he had been in the presence of God. And because the Shekinah glory had been imparted to Moses. And we're told in the book of First or Second Corinthians that he used to come down and have to veil his face so that it wouldn't frighten the people and so that they could have a relationship with him because the, 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 the glory was so bright that they couldn't look at his face. So now this angel comes from the presence of God and it says the earth was illuminated with his glory. What glory? The glory of God is being radiated from the presence of this very angel. And the angels, of course, they're God's army. They're God's servants. They're his created beings. They are there around his throne night and day, day and night to bow down before him and to worship him and to do his bidding. They are his holy messengers. And so this angel comes down from heaven and John notes that he has great authority. So as this angel comes, he's not just bringing a bold judgment or a message saying, hey, go over here and strike the sea or strike the the vegetation and that kind of thing. This one has the authority to judge the whole world's economic and political system. That's crazy when you stop and think about it. And so he cried mightily, verse 2, with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. What is God saying here through this angel? God is judging it finally. He's wiping it out. He's taking it off the board. He's wiping it. I was thinking about this as we get into it, it's going to get worse. I was thinking about the 1929 stock market crash. If any of you have ever read history, you know a little bit about that. And if you don't, you should read about it. You know, those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it, right? But, you know, conditions had, after World War I, had reached a place where the world banking system, especially in the U.S., failed because uh, people wanted to uh, made, sort of made a run on money. And back then there weren't, you know, credit cards and all the stuff we have, they, all this electronic forms of payment. People just had cash. It was paper money. And so people went to the bank and said, hey, I've got, you know, $10,000 in the bank. I want it. Give it to me. And they're like, well, we can't. Well, why not? Well, we don't have any money. Why? Because banks invest your money. They take your money, your paycheck that you put in there every time, direct deposit, they invest your money. And so they have it tied up in all sorts of things. So if, if everybody went in there, even today, if, if we all went in there and said, I want to liquidate all of my assets out of the bank, chances are they probably would not have the cash on hand to do that. Now we have all the backings, all the FDIC stands behind it and all that kind of stuff. Meaning, okay, we'll go print some more money, but it's going to take a while. Point is, we are dependent on those things, right? Think about it. We can't do anything. We can't do anything without money. Your, your bank card, you know, now I, you know, I'm a 
kind of a modern hip person. I'm paying with my phone. I'm paying with my watch. Right? We're doing all these things. But we're dependent on the system. Do you understand? We're dependent on the system. And so God is looking at the system, the political and the economic system. And he's saying, Babylon, whoever, wherever that is at this point in time, and ultimately it will be, think about everything that's in place today, politically, economically, trade, all of that. He's going to take control of that. The Antichrist is going to take control of that. And he's going to use it as a lever, as a button to control people's lives. And God is going to judge Babylon. He's going to wipe the whole thing out. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place, listen, of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every clean, unclean, and hated bird. So the verb tense here would indicate to us that this is a very sudden, rapid event that happens just like the stock market crash of 1929. It's just like, bam, it's going to happen. And notice we saw four times in one hour, in one hour, in one hour. It's going to happen quickly. God's going to wipe it all out. And notice when it says here, place of demons for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird, we talk about, you know, these things sound fancy, right? The principle of expositional constancy. What that means is, we, the last time Jesus referred to birds, remember in the parable of the sower, the birds? And he said the birds were what? Demons. They're Satan's emissaries. They come and they steal away the seed before the seed can take root. So as we read this here, we see this is just wholly a demonic thing. And he's saying that Satan and demonic powers, foul spirits, uh, the the unholy angels, they're all behind this. They're all driving the political and economic system. Hello, we need to be aware of this. And for those of us who have built our lives around financial success, now hopefully by God's grace and according to what we're reading, we're not going to be here during that time. But the point is, as students of scripture, that These things are not permanent. And we should not trust in temporal things. Our hope is in the eternity of heaven. We're going to get to that in a few minutes. Our hope is not in temporary things. So when we go through the sad things, like the loss of a job, I've been through it many times. Something happens and your your feet are wiped out from under you. You know, we, we, we get down, you know, we get depressed. We're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. But what that should point out to us is we've built our house of cards. We've built our life on these structures, on these systems, right? And, and how are we going to live? If you lose your job, if your bank, what, what if somebody steals your identity, right? That's a real thing today. So all of these things, right? God's going to bring judgment to it and he's going to wipe the whole thing out. Listen to a couple of things here. We're setting the tone, then we're going to pick up the pace here. From Babylon, these demonic creatures will influence the world spiritually and tempt humans to give their loyalty to the beast. Remember, the beast demanded to be uh, worshipped. The demons are spirits. They're dirty. They're filthy. They're impure. 
This is a reference to their moral state and the fact that they tempt people to engage in the most evil of practices. A little bit later, he referred to human trafficking, right? Maybe you missed it, where he talked about souls. We'll get to that in a minute. Every age has featured a Babylon, a political and an economic system that has sought to control people's minds and destinies. Just as the contrast to the harlot in chapter 17 about religion, um, the harlot to the pure bride, so the contrast to Babylon is the city of God, the Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the eternal home prepared for the lamb's wife, the lamb's bride, chapter 21, that's coming up. Each generation of believers must keep itself pure from the pollution of both the harlot and Babylon. Verse 3, let's move on. For the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The nations, the whole earth. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. Kings made deals, treaties, pacts. Why? Partly on political power, but mostly because of financial gain. Uh, And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Isn't one of the things everybody complains about today, you know, the compensation packages of top executives of companies? This is what he's talking about here. So this comes, this judgment comes because the Babylonian system has polluted the whole world. It's infiltrated the lives of the people. And here's what God hates. It has catered to those who were lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. It just appeals to that, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Every year as we're heading into sort of the back end of the year here, what, what happens as we come to the new year? Every car manufacturer is pushing hard. We've got to clear our lots of all these old models. We're going to make you a deal if you'll come buy a new car from us. Right? We're going into the holiday season. This is the biggest, Black Friday is the biggest shopping day of the year. Think about the commercialism. All of this, as we alluded to last week, is designed to steal our joy from looking at the birth of Christ and celebrating that as believers. But we have to pollute it and mix it with Christmas trees and the giving of gifts. And we have this financial burden and people spend into February, March, April paying off their Christmas bill. You see how we're enslaved to these systems? Listen to this. We must beware of the subtle influence of the Babylonian system. Worldly things never permanently satisfy or last. The love of pleasures and possessions is but an insidious form of idolatry, demonic in origin and destructive in its outcome. Moving along, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plague. So God is calling the remaining saints, the tribulation saints out of it, lest they get tainted and pulled into it. And certainly if that can happen during the time of the tribulation, it can happen now. I mean, I think we can probably all bear witness of this, right? We've been somehow marred or pulled into the grip of these things. And he says here, verse five, for her sins, Babylon's sins have reached to heaven. Now, when your sins reach heaven, when they get before the throne of God and God takes notice, that's pretty bad, right? It's like, Lord, I stubbed my toe. I said a bad word. Forgive me. 
But when your sins are like, God's like, whoa, this is front page news in heaven. You're in a bad place, right? Her sins have reached heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. One commentator said this. It's inconceivable that a child of God could be a part of religious Babylon, though elements may creep in. But commercial Babylon with its materialistic lure is a constant threat to be guarded against. Here's a few things to think about. Isaiah 52, 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from her, be clean, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 50, flee from the midst of Babylon and everyone save his life. Jeremiah 51, my people go out of the midst of her and let everyone deliver himself from the fierce anger of the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And then he goes on to say in Ephesians 5, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. These are things God's word tells us very clearly to stay away from. But these are the things that are so subtly creep into our lives because of our unfortunate dependency upon our jobs and our paychecks and all of those things to sustain life. And it's hard sometimes when we're drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, to not become affected by it. It's like drinking an alcoholic drink. How much can you drink before you start to feel it? It's hard to stop it, right? You might have one and be unaffected, but two, three, four... You're, you're gone at that point. You're, 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 now you just want more. It's like a drug. Verse 6, Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. So this is God just saying, the way you've treated people, now I'm going to treat you, Babylon. I'm going to judge you, even double In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure, give her torment and sorrow, for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow, and I will not see sorrow. So this is sort of like the uh, manifest destiny, right? I'm not, nothing negative is going to happen to me. Why? Because I'm wealthy. I've built a wall of money around myself and power. Babylon's worship of pleasures and luxury to live deliciously, as other translations have said, is to live proudly in luxury while others go without. Now, we know this happens. This is a part of our world, sadly. But when you watch our politicians in Washington just focusing on our country, this is a big lie, isn't it? Because they all like want to have a policy and they, oh, we're, we're for the people and all that, Right. But they live in gated communities. Nobody lives where the people live. They're like, well, I don't want to live there. Right? That's dangerous. The enormity of Babylon's sin now brings the enormity of God's judgment. The Greek verb here means literally to pay a debt or to give back that which is due. It is finally demanded of them. 
that this is kind of a message to those who would say, you know, I don't want Jesus, I'm rejecting Jesus, I think I can handle it on my own, or I think my good works will outweigh my bad, and God will say, yeah, because of that, you're 51% good, you'll slide in. No, you won't. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus declared exclusively, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no way to be saved except through him. Our investment has to be in heaven, not in this world. Therefore, verse 8, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire for strong as the Lord God who judges her. In other words, no one can stand against the Lord. When God says it, it's going to happen. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Of course they will. Their life, everything's just been taken from them. Their power, their money, their homes, it's all been judged by God. Standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. They finally realized that it was all nothing. It was a house of cards. And in that moment, they realize it's now too late for mercy. Verse 11, and the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Why? Because there's no more money. There's no more commerce. There's no more trade. There's no merchandise, verse 12, of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple and silk and scarlet. You can see all this is pointing to the things that we trade in. It's not just the actual thing named. It's that these things are types of the products that we buy and these may be raw materials that get formed into other things that we buy. Silk, scarlet, every kind of citron wood, that citron wood there is a reference to just highly decorative wood. You know, it's sort of like our idea of saying, oh, you know, I've got this, you know, mahogany bookcase, you know, and it's stained and it looks luxurious and that kind of thing. It's all of the best things, Every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble. Now listen to a couple of scriptures just to focus our attention for a moment because God is judging the world's uh, political and economic system. Matthew 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's not saying don't be responsible and manage your life. He's saying don't put all of your hope in your financial security. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. How do you do that? Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is not life more than, um, 
food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Of course. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? Lest you miss the absurdity of that comment, a cubit was 18 inches. We may think of a cubit as like a millimeter. No, 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 no. A cubit was 18 inches. That's a foot and a half. Which of you by worrying can grow a foot and a half? Obviously you can't, right? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, who was the richest man in the world at that time, in all his glory was not arrayed like God's creation. So if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For, all the, excuse me, for after all these things the Gentiles seek, the people who don't believe in God is the point. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, what things? The things you need shall be added to you. You seek God in his kingdom, he'll take care of you. It's a pretty radical promise, isn't it? Does anybody have faith to believe that? Wow. Coming back to the judgment of Babylon, verse 13, and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oil and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour and wheat and cattle and sheep and horses and chariots and bodies and souls of men. Other translations say, and slaves, that is also human souls. So it's not just talking about slavery in the sense that we might traditionally think of it, Think about the way it's morphed in today's world, human trafficking. Think about third world countries that are so poor, and this is a practice, by the way, I'm not making this up, who sell their kids, 11, 12, 13-year-old boys and girls, for whatever purpose. And these are sold to wealthy men, even companies, for their sexual pleasures. God looks at this. This is a business, right? Pornography. Probably one of the greatest money-making endeavors of the world. God is judging the whole thing. Persons are bought and sold, even traded. Think about this today by athletic teams. Our great corporations, they seek more control into the lives of officers and workers. As people become more enslaved to luxury with more bills to pay, they find themselves unable to break loose from the system. I happen to have a friend who is an officer in uh, a company. He's like, try not to give away too much. But, but he sits on, the, he's, he's an executive. He's, he's one of the, you know, you got CEO, CFO, COO, all those guys, right? He's one of those guys. His particular company requires him not only to have an annual physical, but to have two annual physicals. They require him, as long as he's an officer, to go to the gym every day and work out. 
And, you know, of course, they, they monitor his blood work for his cholesterol and all of that. So why, why? Because they're protecting their asset. That's how deep their control goes into his life. Right? So they're like, we'll continue to give you this absurd blessing of wealth and whatnot and power as long as you live this way because we want to protect our asset that we're investing in. Right? I mean, he has to submit to these things and this, the, all of these health records go to his company as evidence that he's being a good steward of his body and his mental resources and his gifts and his talents so that they can continue to capitalize off of those things so that they can continue to do well. Maybe you didn't realize that companies do that. The fruit that your soul longed, verse 14, has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. Let me throw in a little exhortation and encouragement here. Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Coming back to Revelation 18, verse 15. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. It's disappeared, it's dissipated, it's blown up, it's burned, it's dissolved. Every shipmaster All who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the seas stood at a distance and they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning saying, what is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and they cried out weeping and wailing and saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth for in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven. Listen to God's perspective. And you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. This is the moment, this is the, 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 the point of the fulcrum at, on which God is saying, you see, I, I told you that, you know, don't worry, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord, I will repay. This is the moment. This is the moment. When all the blood of the saints, God is saying, see, I've redeemed you. I've brought it all to nothing. I've taken care of it. You know, John the Baptist spoke against Herod because he took his brother's wife. And of course, he beheaded John the Baptist. He will be redeemed in this moment. And so will every other person who has ever stood up in the name of Jesus Christ and said, I will not bow. In that moment, God will bring redemption. And it will be sweet. Why? Because it came by the hand of God. For God has avenged you on her. One commentator said, how important is it that God's people look at events from God's point of view? This is why we need to have our nose in this book. So that we understand what's happening. We may see something happening Maybe it's an injustice. Maybe we can do something about it. And if that's true, we should. But oftentimes we can't. We read about it in the news. We see it happening in another state and another country. 
but know that God will judge it. This is not hopeless. It's not like just some existential loss. God will avenge the blood of the innocent. God will take care of it. He will make it right. He is righteous. He is holy. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets. This isn't saying that as believers we should gloat over people when the judgment of God comes upon them. We take glory in the fact that God is righteous and God is holy, but we do not take glory in the fact that someone suffers and dies and goes to hell. You understand the difference? And so we look at this, yes, we will rejoice over her, O heaven, you holy apostles and prophets, but we don't do it saying, I'm glad they're dead. I'm glad God has judged them. I'm glad they're burning in hell. No, no, that's not, that's not our position. That's not the way we look at it. You see, God is, he's the only one who can look at a situation, a person, and say those things and make those decisions. What we do is we take a step back and say, God, you're holy, you're righteous. I rejoice in your judgment. I thank you that I'm on this side of it and not on that side. Then an angel, verse 21, we're at the end. A mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea saying, thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Doesn't this remind you a little bit of what Jesus said in Matthew 18? But whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble who believe in me, It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. I think God's bringing that to bear in this situation. The sound of harpists and musicians and flutists. Now look here in verse 22 and 23. Maybe you, you want to highlight or underline this. Look at the phrase, shall not be heard in you anymore, shall not be uh, shall be found in you, shall, uh, nor, nor shall anything be found in you anymore, shall not be heard in you anymore, shall not shine in you anymore, shall not be heard in you anymore. Only God, in his judgment, can completely silence something and say, that's it, be quiet. You know, you and I have probably tried to do that, right? We're in an argument or we're, somebody's saying something to us, yeah, be silent, be quiet, you know. When God says it, it happens, right? So God silences everything that was celebration and joy and mirth on the part of those who were glorying in these things. And he says, no, no, no. The time of your partying and all that kind of stuff, that's over. It's done. Boom. Quiet. All done. Babylon will be found no more. Verse 23, the second half there, he says, For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Now the word sorcery, anytime you see that word, the root word is the word pharmakia. So sometimes it is referring literally to taking drugs. Other times it's referring to Here, more so like a potion, like something that would cause people to be swayed. 
Uh, I think of maybe, you know, a smoke or some kind of influence, you know, like a nerve gas almost, something that just you're not aware that you're breathing it, but it affects you. And he's saying here, for by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. So it seems to be pointing to the fact that all the nations who were dependent on this political and economic system, they become deceived. And so this, you know, the deception of wealth and all of that has become sorcery. It's become like a drug, drawing people in. In verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. And this is what really drove God. All these other things we've looked at, they drove God to judgment. But the fact that religious Babylon as well as political and economic Babylon and its system has taken the lives of prophets and saints, that the blood of prophets and saints were even spilt. You know, all those things Jesus said to us in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Gospels, you know, hey, people will hate you because of my namesake. And they will bring you, put you on trial. They'll bring you before kings and they will kill you. But know that it's not you that they hate, it's me that they hate. In other words, it's God that they hate. God is saying, all of the people who, in a sense, innocently died for my namesake, this is why I'm judging them. That's a big part of it. Because what is he saying here? The world has rejected God. Paul says in Colossians, Christ in you, the hope of glory. He says, you're the light of the world. Your light should not be hidden under a basket. You are the salt of the earth. Don't think for a second, don't believe the lie of Satan that you and I as believers in Jesus Christ don't make a difference. We do. Your very presence makes a difference. If the Holy Spirit is in you, and he is if you're a believer, then you have light. You have hope. Okay, maybe you're not the most outspoken person in the world. But let me, let me just say something from this point forward, because I believe the days are getting shorter for us folks. Ask him, ask the Lord, God, do something, well something up within me. Cause me to be your servant. Cause me to be light. Cause me to be salt. Cause me to be hope in this world. This world is desperate. It's dying. You know, as you go out there, and, and you, you're in the world, you're in the, the pharmacy, the supermarket. Don't you see people rushing around? They're stressed out. You know, I, I've, I've seen moms there with a piece of paper and they're writing down the prices and they're adding up because they don't have the money. They're, they're on a very limited budget. I, I see this. Open your eyes and look around you. People need Jesus. The world needs Jesus. And all of this stuff in Babylon is in stark contrast to who we are. I'm not living for the next paycheck. My hope isn't in the things of this earth. Anything that can burn, it's no good. It has no eternal significance. You understand that? It's all going to burn. And one day we're going to be with God in heaven. And then we'll truly understand what matters. You know, sometimes when you are walking with someone through tragedy and through death, they're like, you know what? I found out what really matters. It's your family. Now, your family does matter, absolutely. What really matters is when you stand before God. 
Do you know Christ? Have you been bought by the blood of the Lamb? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's what matters. Not how much money you made. Not how good you were at investing. Not what kind of car you drove. Not how well you provided for your family. That's all good stuff. What matters is, am I in Christ? Am I righteous before the God of heaven? Am I his servant? Am I his witness? Am I his son or daughter? That's what matters. Your identity in Christ is what matters, not your identity in Babylon. Are you a citizen of Babylon or a citizen of heaven? Our citizenship, we're told, is in heaven. God, you love us so much and you tell us these things so that we will turn our hearts toward you. And for us as your people, as your churches, we study these things. Yes, they may be sort of hard to understand, but they all speak of the fact that there's only one thing that matters. And on that great, we need to understand it, Lord, on that great day when a person stands before the throne of God, will that person stand there of their own merit Or will they be in Christ? And God, what we want is to be in Christ. That's what we desire. Paul even said, speaking of our ministry, this ministry of reconciliation, he said that we desire to present every person, every man complete in Christ. Lord, that's the job of everyone. The Great Commission is the job of everyone. And so, Lord, help us. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your spirit. And Lord, today, if there's anyone listening here online or even in this room who's never put their hope and their faith and their trust in you, if they've never believed in Jesus, then let this be the moment where they just simply reach out to you in faith and say, Lord, save me. I'm sinking. I'm dying. Lord, I need you. I've tried everything else. It doesn't work. This world system It doesn't work, it won't work, it will never work. It will never give us what we think we want or what we think we need. That can only be found at the throne of God, at the foot of the cross, in the person of Jesus. Lord, meet us this morning. Speak to us. Lord, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. We love you and we bless you in his holy and his righteous name. Amen.